anger lingers in South Los Angeles. This community rallying attention to problems like poverty, still plaguing street corners that burned into the night back in 1992. The riots, a reaction to the brutal tactics of the LAPD at the time, when four officers were acquitted for the beating of Rodney King caught on camera. The spark that ignited a fire, neighborhoods descended into chaos. In six days, over 12,000 arrested, more than 2,000 injured, and nearly 60 dead. There are fires all over the city. So this side is on fire and people are looting over here. L.A. native Jasmine Kanick was just 14, the rioting right outside her window. You knew that something was terribly wrong when you have that many people angry and upset in the street. Yet she never left, a community voice for neighborhoods still struggling. It's a disappointment to see any piece of land like this in L.A. still vacant, especially knowing the needs of the community. That is the real tragedy, right? Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. And thank you for subscribing to the latest edition of the 12 Kyle podcast. I'm 12 Kyle. Check this out. On this episode, what we're going to do is we're going back. We're going back to April 29th, 1992. On that day, a day that will live in infamy in this country. On that day, there was an uprising, if you will, in the city of Los Angeles. We're talking about the 1992 L.A. riots. Um, It's really amazing to me that it's been 30 years. Um, And it's the reason why I say that is because like. So much of what happened back then leading up to the riots and, and seeing the riots and the fallout from it. So much of what we see today you know it still kind of exists and it's like you have to kind of stop and think like damn did we move anywhere was there any progress or anything like that and you know that's a very valid question to ask but I wanted to talk about it because I knew that this anniversary was coming up and um quite honestly it's a it it was a tough part of our history but a very necessary part and it got us to where we are today um and then i also like talking about it because i can give you my experience uh as someone who lived through it as opposed to maybe someone who's listening who either wasn't around or maybe were too young to remember um so let's go back uh there were a lot of things that led up to the riots in Los Angeles. Uh, Two things in particular uh, that sped up the process, if you will. Um, And I'm going to touch on both. Uh, The first thing was the senseless murder of 15-year-old Latasha Harlins. Um, Latasha Harlins was as I mentioned, a 15-year-old who was murdered by a convenience store owner. 
And then the second event, obviously, was <clears throat> Rodney King, the motorist who was the black motorist who was beaten. I think he was hit like over 80 times by four white cops uh, after being pulled over uh, for I think he was evading cops or something like that. I can't remember what the charge was, but his beating was videotaped on uh unbeknownst to the 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 officers it was videotaped by a man who videotaped it with his home camera from his balcony and we'll talk about both but i want to start with latasha harlan's um her senseless and tragic um murder uh latasha harlan's as i mentioned was a young lady 15 years old she was in high school at Westchester High School in Los Angeles. Um, just a random day on uh, March 16th, 1991, uh, she and her cousin uh, had gone to the store. Uh, it was a uh, local liquor store, and she went there to purchase uh, some orange juice. Uh, she went to this place called Empire Liquor. It was located at the intersection of West 91st Street and South Figueroa Street in Vermont, Vermont Vista section of Los Angeles. And um, there she encountered uh, the store owner, uh, a lady by the name of, what was her name? Soon Ja Du. Soon Ja Du. And Long story short, there was a confrontation. Latasha went to purchase uh, a bottle of orange juice that cost a dollar and seventy nine cents. Uh, but before she could purchase it, Do accused her of attempting to steal it, and she did not see the money in Latasha Harlan's hand. Um, she claimed that she asked if she intended to pay for the orange juice, and. Two eyewitnesses later verified that she did have the money and she never put it in her book bag. But the thing about that confrontation was that was something that was very common uh, in that particular time in Los Angeles. You know, there were a lot of Korean business owners who had uh, businesses in, you know, South Central Los Angeles or, or in Los Angeles, period, all over Los Angeles. And their clientele and the people who came in and, and, you know, shop with them were mostly black people. And a lot of times black people felt harassed or they were always, you know, felt like they were watched or, you know, racially profiled, if you will. And the same thing happened to Latasha, Latasha at this time. Um, so what happens from there is, you know, based on different accounts. But after that, what happened was Latasha made an attempt to, uh, walk away. Do grabbed her. They tussled. She pushed her down, meaning uh, Latasha pushed Do down, put the uh, orange juice back on the counter and actually handed it to her um, because Latasha hit, hit her twice, knocking her down to the ground. After that, Latasha Harlins backed away. Uh, Miss Do angrily threw a stool at her. Uh, the bottle had dropped during the scuffle that they had. Latasha picked it up off the ground, handed it to Do, who snatched the bottle from her. Harlins then turned around to walk out of the store. Now, keep in mind, she's got money in her hand 
the bottle of orange juice is back in Sunjadu's hand. So no harm, no foul, right? It's just a confrontation that happened to get physical, but you know, she's walking away. And as she turns and walks away to leave, Sunjadu reaches under the counter, grabs a retriever, uh, excuse me, grabs a revolver. She retrieved a revolver, my bad, and fired a shot from behind at about from about three feet away, striking Latasha Harlins in the back of the head, killing her instantly. Now, Sunjadu said that this was in self-defense. She would later testify in court that she feared for her life. Doesn't that sound familiar? And she killed, murdered a 15-year-old girl, a girl who was just starting life. Shot in the back of the head as she attempted to walk away. She was head, she was, and, and all of this was confirmed on videotape. She was walking away, right? She gets shot in the back of the head. Well, it goes to trial. A jury finds that, you know, she was guilty of voluntary manslaughter. And the jury recommended that she get a maximum of 16 years in prison. However, the trial judge, a judge by the name of Joyce Carlin, reversed it and sentenced Sunja due to five years probation, 10 years of a suspended prison sentence, 400 hours of community service and a $500 fine. Yeah. She got off for killing Latasha Harlins. And this happened. She was murdered in March of 1991. The trial happened in November of 1991. And it went all the way. They, of course, they appealed it. It went all the way up to the state Supreme Court. And a state appeals court uh, upheld Judge Carlin's sentencing decision 3 0 on April 21st, 1992, about a week before the LA riots happened. And when I tell you people were pissed, people were furious, particularly black people. And again, there was a, a, a battle between black people and Koreans in LA. Um, even someone like myself who did not live in LA, I think I'd only been to LA at that particular time only once because I went for the Super Bowl, but it, I, I knew about that. And here's the thing, because it was 1991 and there was obviously no internet, no social media, we did not see this murder. Now, later on, it would be you know, available for people to see or what have you. And I, I remember seeing the grainy photo or whatever. And Latasha Harlan is clear. I mean, like she's damn near out the door and this lady shoots in the back of the head. And so even though, even the, the, the information, how it was disseminated to us, because I, I was at the time of all of this, I was at uh, South Carolina state university a freshman. And, um, you know, we still couldn't believe it. Like, she just shot her in cold blood. And I mean, again, people were outraged. So that was one domino of the several dominoes that led to the 1992 riots. Um, the second 
and pivotal one uh well they both were pivotal but this one was you know just as major um it actually happened before a couple of weeks before natasha harlan's was murdered on march 3rd 1991 rodney king as i mentioned was evading police um and he got pulled over and the cops start whipping his ass and i mean like I don't know how many times he got hit, but the thing that was interesting was, again, as I mentioned earlier, as they were beating him, unbeknownst to them, it was being videotaped. And I want to say maybe about four or five days after uh, this happened, a local news station in L.A. got this tape. And once they got this tape, it spread like wildfire. I mean, like it hit CNN and it hit every new major news outlet. And when I tell you we were able to see it in South Carolina on CNN, like everybody else, and it was on the national news. It was the it was the lead story on the national news. And Rodney King was this guy who obviously none of us had ever heard of, but he was this guy who was just getting beaten to damn it to death by these cops. And then by the time Rodney King gets out of the hospital, he is now a public figure. He does a press conference. And I mean, his eyes are, I mean, his face is still swollen. His eyes, they cracked his orbital bone. Like he had broken ribs. Like he was messed up. And I just remember seeing that watching that video and i i've I've never watched the video through its entirety i I think i saw enough in the 20 or 30 seconds that i saw but i think even back then it, it was so troublesome it was bothersome because you know as a young black man coming up i mean like we were always told like you know look out for the cops look out for the cops and so i was always leery of cops and i I mean i've done a podcast and you i'm sure you guys heard it. if not you can go back and listen to it in archives about my experiences with the police um that podcast is called sound of the police um check it out but no i mean like and, and i've heard stories i've heard stories about guys getting beat up by cops i've heard stories about black men and I'm talking about as a child, I'm, I've heard stories about black men, you know, suddenly all of a sudden dying in police custody, not really knowing, you know, the, the full story. Like, oh, yeah, he just he suffocated. OK, well, how did he suffocate? He's in jail, but he's in the prison cell by himself. Oh, he hung himself. Huh? What? And I mean, like these were stories and these were stories were, you know, passed throughout the neighborhood. Not anyone that I knew personally, but still black men dying at the hands of the police so we were taught you know to be fearful and leery of police we just that's just the way we were taught especially in the 90s and so to see rodney king get beat man i I was just like wow but the underlying thought that we all had was wow they got it on tape (laughs) I mean, we were so happy. I mean, now we we weren't happy about the fact that he got beat, but we were ha- very happy about the fact that it was all on tape. I mean, like it was right there. You couldn't deny it. 
all of the officers were identified. I mean, like it was there. And so deep down, you know, we're thinking, okay, these cops are going to get it, you know, because they got brought up on charges and everything. And we're like, yeah. And I'll be honest, like I didn't watch much of it. I mean, of course, again, it's 1992 at this point, by the time it goes to trial. And um, I didn't watch much of that stuff. A lot of the stuff was on CNN, but I, I kept, you know, a little bit abreast of what was going on. But I, it wasn't something that it wasn't like there was court TV back then. <laughs> um, but an interesting thing that happened during the trial was the trial was moved from L.A. County where it happened to semi valley semi valley uh semi valley lily witch right white suburbs and so you know rodney king wasn't going or excuse me these officers were not going to be uh judged by a jury of their peers in the county in which you know this happened for all I know, they could have lived in whatever counties Simi Valley sits in. Um, and I thought that was very pivotal. I, I remember thinking that. And I was like, well, why are they moving to trial? When they when I heard that they were moving to trial, I was like, oh, this don't sound too good. And you kind of knew at that point the fix was in. Like, something wasn't right. And I remember when the verdict came down on um, uh, April 29th, uh, I was in class and I just gotten out of class and um, I remember I was coming back from the um, cafeteria. Me and my boys were coming back and somebody said, it was like, yo, CNN said that, you know, they're going to read the verdict, the Rodney King verdict. So what, and, and that was, that was the thing too. Like it was always perpetuated as the Rodney King verdict. Rodney King wasn't on trial. You understand like he wasn't on trial and even subsequently the people after this after all hell broke loose they called it the rodney king riots it wasn't the rodney king riots rodney king rodney king didn't throw one brick he didn't rob one liquor store but you know that's what it was and that's the way that it was uh portrayed in the media and again i want you to understand like in 1992 we didn't have the access to media that we have now i mean like you can just open up your phone and you can see whatever news feed that you want to see but i mean like back then it was cnn and it was your local news it really i mean fox might have been a thing but i don't remember i don't really remember watching fox i just remember cnn was that was the place that you got world news and here's the thing about cnn cnn was the only outlet i think at the time that was on 24 7 like your local news and your local stations went off at 2 a.m cnn all night long 24 <laughs> 7 so that's where we saw everything kind of play out um so once the verdict was read and these cops got off i was like the fuck like how does this happen like i i call me crazy Normally, I, I'm I'm pretty optimistic or pessimistic, if you will, about things. But I really thought like they were going to do time like 20, 30 years. I, I thought that the time that they were facing, they were going to jail. Right. And so my reaction was, 
one of uh disappointment and anger um not anger to the point where i would want to go burn something down but i understood how and why someone would feel that way um so i remember me and my boy we was talking and you know talking to a couple of cats with my teammates in the dorm turn the tv off you know and we went back outside and was kicking it on the ave on on campus and i remember coming back in um in the dorm i was in bethay hall shout out to bethay and i remember walking past somebody's dorm room and they had the door open and i just remember (laughs) i remember one of my teammates saying oh they're about to fuck up la and i was like huh because like at this point in time like i don't know what's going I, i don't know that this is happening but i do remember them saying that like they're about to fuck up la and I didn't, I, it just kind of went through one ear and out the other, but that's exactly what happened. Um, I remember just a couple of months ago listening to this podcast and I'm going to put the, uh, the link in the show notes for you guys to check it out. It's called slow burn. Um, slow burn was a, and this was episode, this was slow burn season six, I think, um, it was hosted by uh, Joel Anderson, who did a great job. Uh, eight episodes that gives you a detailed breakdown of L.A. and the and the riots. Uh, it came out late last year in 2021. Phenomenal podcast episodes. And the episodes run about 40 minutes long. Must it, It's a must listen. Um, and I remember listening to it. And, and one of the things I, I learned a lot behind the scenes because obviously i wasn't in la when it happened right but one of the things that i learned was the first incident happened um in this neighborhood and there was a boy who had who had thrown a rock at a, at a cop's car or something like that and the cops go to arrest him so they roll up on him and they and they, they come and get him or whatever like that and there's these two dudes who are in their own vehicle and they got a camcorder. Now, let me just break some down real quick for you folks. Uh, back then, again, we didn't have cell phones. So if you were going to record someone, you had to have a camcorder. And I mean, a camcorder is not something that, you know, I'm not talking about the little handheld joints. I'm talking about the big joints, like, like literally like a cameraman. And so it's something it's not necessarily heavy, but it's, you know, it's something big to be kind of lulling around. Um, but these guys had this camcorder and they they're in this neighborhood and um, cops go to arrest this kid, 15, 16 year old kid for throwing a rock at a car. And. As they are about to take him in, a crowd forms. So they start calling for backup. And so by the time, you know, people by around this time, the, the verdict is already out. So people are starting to take to the streets. Uh, as soon as the verdict were read, there were people that ran, that, that ran up on the, the police, the police station downtown. And, um, you know, in this particular neighborhood, and I can't, I can't remember what neighborhood neighborhood it was, but this young, young kid was about to go to jail and the people weren't having it like they weren't having it at all it was 35 cop cars and over 200 people in the street 
in this neighborhood and they're going off on the cops, they're cussing at the cops, they're spitting on them and everything. And then the call comes through to retreat. And at that point, the cops start pulling out. They start pulling out of this neighborhood. And one guy said on camera, he said, well, hey, I thought he said it was a win for us. He was like, but I thought that they were going to leave, get more backup, come back down here and start and start a war. But they didn't. Now, as L.A. is starting to bubble. The chief of police, guy by the name of Daryl Gates. Is nowhere to be found. In the first three or four hours of the riots, Daryl Gates was nowhere to be found. He was actually hiding in his office, but nobody knew. And Daryl Gates is a guy, and they they talked about this on Slow Burn. Um, he's a guy who came up through the ranks. Uh, he was a guy who, in 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 the police department's eyes, led them through the. Um, 65 watch riots um look that up if you're not familiar with the 65 watch riots that happened in la um but he was a guy that kind of made his name as far as the procedures and all the stuff that he put in he implemented or whatever like that he was supposed to be the hot shot guy whatever the case may be um long story short daryl gates was you know and and then daryl gates actually in the days leading up to the verdicts being given he put out a statement uh, he put out a five minute video uh, that was disseminated to, you know, the police officer saying that, hey, you know, uh, the blacks, <laughs> the blacks, the blacks are going. He didn't say the blacks, but I, for, for full effect, I'll just say the blacks. The blacks are going to, you know, some of the black leaders are uh, will be in an uproar if the verdicts don't go their way. So we have to be prepared. So, you know, he'd put a contingency plan in place. In the event the, the 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 verdict did not go in black people's favor, he had put a contingency plan in place, and and so he had already got a budget for a million dollars uh, for overtime for these officers. So they were going to work the streets and and make sure that uh, law and order was restored. Now, here's the thing: Gates had the mindset of what happened in '65, where a lot of the damage and everything was done at night so he thought that if there's a disturbance if the verdict is read during the day if there's a disturbance it's going to be at night wrong answer because la got set off damn near as soon as that verdict came down people started going to the streets and before you know it you started seeing smoke Buildings were being set on fire. Stores were being robbed and looted. Like I said earlier, I it's hard for me at that position where I was at that time because I, I couldn't have been more than like 18 years old. I understood it. And I I, I kind of justified with myself like if I, if, you know, like, yo, if I was in LA, I'd be out there too. I mean, I, I probably wouldn't be, but because they ain't really my steeds or how I get down, but still, I understand. And, you know, they had a reason to be out there. They had a, I mean, like, all of this stuff, when you had the Natasha Harlins and you had the 
Rodney King and then the years and years and years of police brutality. And I mean, we knew we knew from NWA about how cops used to, you know, mess with black people. And, you know, just for no reason, just messing with them for no reason. And so, like, you felt it bubbling. I mean, and NWA talked about this in 87, 88, 89. This is 92. So if you go back and listen to some of that music, that music is like a precursor to the riots. Some of the stuff that Ice Cube was talking about, some of the stuff that Dre was talking about. Definitely some of the stuff the NWA was talking about. Go listen to Fuck the Police. It's there. So after that, like I said, what happened was the epicenter became the intersection of Florence and Normandy. Normandy. Um, huge intersection. South is it was called South Central LA then but now it's, it's South LA um and I tell you it, it's it, honestly it's kind of weird because I was just in LA uh, a couple months ago and riding through that intersection now kind of visualizing how it was back then as far as what I saw on TV it, it felt felt weird you know um but I I went through it you know um but anyway Florence and Normandy became the epicenter of the LA riots, particularly on the first day. Uh, like I said, stores were looted, um, businesses were burned. Um, and what happened was the police basically were told to come off the streets because honestly, they weren't prepared for this. They were not prepared for everything, <laughs> for all the smoke no pun in, in, in intended for all of the smoke that they were about to get. And so if you're familiar with the LA riots, you know, the story of uh, Reginald Denny, a uh, white motorist uh, truck driver who's driving through that intersection, got snatched out of his truck, got smashed in the face with a brick, all of it caught on camera by the um, helicopter hovering above. And the thing about it was, was that it was, it was total anarchy. Like it was just so much violence in the streets that like the cops were told, you know, to retreat. And then there was rumors. I don't know that this to be, I don't know this to be true, but there were rumors that, you know, people were shooting and robbing firefighters and stuff like that. So even firefighters couldn't get close to, you know, to putting some of the fires out. So it was just a, a crazy situation. In fact, I, I got into it and, and talked a little bit about it with the homie, my boy Baylor. Uh, shout out to BTG who came on my podcast uh, late last year. Uh, we talked about it. He, he actually shared a story uh, about his dad um, putting a, a, a TV on the back of a pickup truck, uh, which was a f funny story, man. Shout out my boy Baylor. Um, and But Baylor's somebody who is from LA, like born and raised. So like he was living through this time. He was young, but he was out there. And um, you know, he he was he was active. <laughs> I'll just put it like that. But he talked about it in the podcast. Go check that podcast out. It's called California Love. Uh shout out to Baylor. Um but yeah, it, it was there were no police, there were no firefighters. So anything that was set on fire burned. 
And I mean, it burned to the ground. And so like you couldn't do anything. And there was no stopping, nobody stopping anybody. And this was the first day. L.A. went up in smoke. And the one thing that I learned from Slow Burn, from the Slow Burn podcast was later that day, Daryl Gates actually went to a function. He went to a fundraiser, uh, some some fundraiser about, you know, police reform or something like that. But it was out in like Hollywood or some shit like that. It, he went <laughs> he went to kick with the white folks. And, you know, there's audio of him being there and he's talking to people and telling people how much they he loves them and they're going to take care of them and all of this stuff like that. And he was there to raise money. While his city was on fire, literally. And so after the first day, man, it's like. I think the numbers were like four people dead, 106 injured. There was like over 150 fires. Um, and honestly, there were a lot of people that thought, okay, particularly in the police department, um, that, okay, okay, that, that was, that was the storm. You know, we're, we're good. Everything will be back in order. And the police kind of regrouped or what have you, but they didn't know what was going to happen on day two. If you thought day one was bad, day two was even worse. So many businesses were set on fire. Uh, Some of the people, (laughs) some of the people out there were targeting specifically Korean owned businesses. And the reason being is because of the murder of Latasha Harlins. Soon Jadu became a flashpoint for you know people out there in the streets the brothers and sisters that were out there in the streets and i, and I don't wait when i say brothers and sisters I don't, I don't even want to make it sound like it's just it was just black people because it was black it was white it was hispanic it was um some asian americans uh it, it was it was it was a rainbow and ironically I found that it said there was a report that said like over 50% of the people that were arrested were Hispanic. That I did not know, especially from the news coverage, because when you show when they showed the news coverage, <laughs> it was a number of black people running up in spots. But what happened was the Korean community got to the point where they on the on day two, they felt like they had to defend their businesses. And they were little some of them were literally going to their businesses in South L.A., and with guns arming themselves one guy was standing on top of the building and he was you know anybody that got close he was shooting in the air he wasn't shooting at him but he was shooting in the air somebody a security guard got killed i mean it was it was literally like the wild wild west and the crazy part about it was for the most part for someone like me in south carolina we could see it all on tv not the same way that we see you know riots and things like that now i mean you know most most recently to george floyd um everything that happened after his his uh his murder uh wherein you could jump on twitter or jump on facebook or ig and you could see everything like you could see it from the streets people out there marching and protesting um it wasn't like that but cnn i mean like they gave you 24 7 coverage and i mean like we just this was the first time that we could see something in real time 
at least that I can remember, something that we can see in real time and like just the destruction and how it played back for us was different because again, like I said, I was in college at South Carolina State University. It's in Orangeburg, South Carolina, right? And so while we felt connected, you know, Orangeburg and LA are a gazillion miles away, right? So, but I do remember the anger and we all were angry and i remember you know somebody in the dorm (laughs) saying like yo man we should go tear up some shit and i'm like for who for what like for me i mean i i I just i couldn't get down like that because i it wasn't it'd be different if that happened in orangeburg or if it happened in my hometown of florence south carolina that'd be different you know, but I as, as bad and as mad as I felt about Rodney King, you know, I couldn't see myself going and breaking into uh, a liquor store. Well, one, I didn't drink liquor at that point in time in my life, but I couldn't see me going in, in, and breaking into a liquor store uh, while doing it in the name of, you know, being mad at police or, you know, what they did or, or those cops getting off. I, I could personally, I just couldn't do it. But I do know some people <laughs> who were like, yo, we're going to break into this store. And I'm not going to name the store because they actually did break in the store and they stole some stuff. And what was interesting was like some of the stuff that they stole, like, bro, you're going to break into a clothing store. If you break into a clothing store, it would probably be in your best interest to get clothes that you can wear or that someone that you know can wear man these dudes came back to the dorm with like youth t-shirt i'm like i'm like bro what what you gonna do with a youth t-shirt give it to your little brother but i mean like that was a thing like you know people were breaking into stuff and and i'm sure and like i said me and baylor talked about it people were breaking you know coming up on stuff you know and i mean if you walking past a store and the store is you know been broken into why not you know at least that that's that was my thinking back then um but yeah it, it really day two really really divided the blacks and the koreans um there were over a hundred korean stores that were robbed or burned and all the while this is happening Guess who we haven't heard from? Now, we've heard from political leaders. We've heard from Daryl Gates. We've heard from the mayor, uh, Tom Bradley, who was who's, who's black, uh, you know, asking for calm and for peace. And the one person that we did not hear from at that particular time within the first couple of days of the riots were was, you guessed it, Rodney King. Uh, Rodney King, I found out later, was, you know, he was in the cut. He was chilling. He wasn't out there doing anything. I mean, and his lawyer approached him and said, hey, <clears throat> Rodney, you got to say something. You got to do something. We got to we got to make a statement. We got to we got to we got to, you know, ask for calm because and, I, and I'm his lawyer didn't say this on the Slow Burn podcast, but I think I'm pretty sure that the L.A., the, the powers that be 
as far as the police department put him up to it like hey get rodney out here to, to calm these people down because it was again this was by the time rodney spoke to the people i want to say it was like three days in this went on for five this this riot went on for five days like literally la was up in smoke la was la now keep in mind la is already it's already notorious for its smog but the smoke was so bad in la from the fires that were being burned on the businesses that were were, were, were lit on lit ablaze that airplanes couldn't even fly into la like they had to change some of their routes and stuff like that. It, it was crazy and again mass destruction people dying uh businesses being destroyed billions of dollars being lost and you know the sad part is is that a lot of it you know happened in you know predominantly black communities like south la but and i know like a lot of people even at the time would say well how, how why would you destroy your own community why would you tear your stuff down why would you burn your stuff up you gotta understand like it's systematic racism is just that when you have a situation where you confine people to a specific area and you don't necessarily give them the tools to help them or at least assist them in in upward mobility or where they can move out you know you redline areas and 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 section things off to where you know no this black person can't stay in brentwood no this black person can't stay in beverly hills or no this hispanic brother can't stay in you know malibu and you relegate them to an area i mean people are going to be people and it's it's systematic and then you you give them very little and then you expect them to be cool when you give them a hard time about the little stuff that they have. And again, I'm not, I don't want anybody to think that I'm advocating for burning down your own communities and tearing shit up. But sometimes you got to burn down shit and tear shit up. Honestly. And that's really what it came to. And I feel bad because, you know, South LA is a much different place now. And I'm sure that there are places that you can go and Baylor will tell you this. I'm sure there's places you can go in LA that never recovered from the riots. And that's the sad part because there are parts of LA right now that used to be, you know, where black people used to live and they can't even afford to live now because of gentrification. But again, you know, all of this stuff was going on and Rodney King had not said a word publicly. You know, again, he didn't have Twitter. He didn't have Instagram, so he couldn't just, you know, shoot some tweets off. So anyway, his lawyer goes to him and says, hey, Rodney, we, we need you to say something. So his lawyer prepares a four page statement. And Rodney King, he, he goes to his apartment, you know, picks out a something for him to wear like a suit or something that they bought him and everything and they have this his lawyer has this grand idea about you know what he should say and how it should sound and so forth and so on and so he writes this speech it, according to the lawyer it was a beautiful speech <laughs> yeah okay 
if you say so. But Rodney King uh, then gets an opportunity to face the media. And he has the four page statement with him. But before he steps to the podium, Rodney King puts the page, the paper to the side and he decides to go off the top and speak from the heart. And here's what he said. Thanks for joining us for the city of Los Angeles, a third day of tension and violence. As night approaches, police and National Guard units are out in force. Federal troops are on standby. Violence in the city appeared to die down a bit today, but the toll is obvious. 37 people dead, more than 1,300 injured, more than 4,000 arrested. Damage estimate, $200 million and rising. 4,000 National Guard troops have joined the contingent of police and California Highway Patrol officers on the streets. More are on the way. A few hours ago, the man who's become the unwilling symbol of this outbreak of violence decided it was time to speak out. Rodney King appealed for peace. I just want to say, you know, can we can we all get along? Can we can we get along? Um, can we stop making it making it horrible for for the for the older people and the, and, the, and the and the kids? And I mean, we've got enough smog here in Los Angeles. Um, let alone to uh, d- deal with the uh, setting these fires and and things. It's, it's just not right. It's not right, and um, it's not it's not gonna it's not gonna change anything. Um, we'll we'll get our justice. Um, they won the battle, but they haven't won the war. We we'll have our day in court, and that's all we want. And uh, I, I love, you know, I'm, I'm neutral. I love every, I love people of color. You know, I'm, I'm not a, not like they, picking me out, picking me out to be. Um, we've got to, we've got to quit. We've got to quit. You know, after all, I mean, I can understand the, the, the first upset for the first two hours after the verdict. But uh, to go on, to keep going on like, like this, and to see the security guard shot on the on the ground, it um, it's it's uh, it's just not right. It's just not right because those people are, will never go home to to their families again. And uh, I mean, please, we can we can get along here. We we all can get along. We just gotta just gotta. You know, I mean, we're all stuck here for a while. Let's, you know, let's 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 try to work it out. Let's try to beat it. You know, let's try and work it out. I think the thing about Rodney King at that particular time, I commend him for trying to go off the top and say what he wanted to say, but he he suffered a lot. I mean, like he had brain damage, you know, from the um, beating that he took. And he probably wasn't the most articulate person prior to, you know, being beaten. Cause I think, I think it was a high school dropout. So, you know, and he had been in and out of jail a couple of times, you know, it just, 
nothing major, but you know, he wasn't the guy to deliver that. And 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 I'm I don't want to sound like I'm bumping for him, but I, I I have a better understanding now after understanding who he was. But let me tell you something, folks. Rodney King caught hell for what he just what he said. Can't we all just get along? I mean, like people were pissed. Like I can't believe, man, we out because people literally were in the streets yelling, "This is for Rodney King." They were whipping people's ass. This is for Rodney King. They were setting shit on fire. This is for Rodney King. They were literally chanting his name in the streets. His name rang out in every street in LA. And he gets on TV and says, can't we all just get along? And it didn't come off well at all. I mean, Rodney King really became uh, after, you know, of course, the aftermath of the, the riots. I mean, he became the butt of a lot of jokes. I mean, a lot of jokes. And, you know, he he tried. He tried, but it it didn't. I don't know what was on that paper. I don't know if it would have been, you know, really in his best interest in reading what was on that paper, because what was on that paper probably wouldn't have sounded any more authentic, but he shouldn't have done that. Can't we all just get along? It's, it's like you're, you're making it. People felt like he was giving them an out. And, you know, Rodney King in the media, as far as how he was covered all the way up until the time that um, the verdict were read, he was he wasn't ever, he was never painted as a good guy. He was always painted as this guy that, you know, had run ins with the law and he ran from the cops. And, you know, they stopped short of saying this is why the cops bust your ass, you know, like that. So for him to get on tv and say can't we all just get along i mean like if you do any research you you type in anything about rodney king that's the first thing that comes up can't we all just get along like people forget that he got his ass whooped like that's the first thing that comes up and i understand and kind of get where he was coming from and and again i don't necessarily know that he was the most articulate person to try to deliver that message at the time because he was hurting and he saw that his city was hurting but at the same time Bruh, if I could put myself in Rodney King's shoes, there's no way I'm getting on TV and saying, can't we all just get along? Depending on the day, depending on the person, they might get up there and say, man, fuck the police. (laughs) I don't know. But I'll be honest, I was disappointed in Rodney King. And again, I didn't know Rodney. I was was a kid in college. I didn't know any better, but I was disappointed. I was like, what? He said, what? It's like, man, fuck Rodney King. (laughs) And that's how we felt. Like, because it was like, he wanted to put, he wanted to put, he wanted it to calm everybody down. And it wasn't time to be calm. It it was, it was, it was gangs that was uniting, Bloods and Crips that was uniting. I mean, everybody was coming together. And, you know, the LAPD realized that they had, you know, trouble and you know they changed some things but the LAPD is still the LAPD man don't get it twisted but you know Rodney King that's unfortunately unfortunately 
you know, something that he'll be remembered for. Um, all in all, it, it's weird to still think that this is 30 years ago because it again, it, it still feels like today. It still feels like today. You still have police brutality. You still have people taken to the streets. You still have civil unrest when cops get off of doing some shit that they shouldn't have done, killing innocent citizens. And so that's a little disheartening when you think about the fact that this happened 30 years ago. And it's like, damn, okay, this happened 30 years ago. And then you have George Floyd and everybody, you know, all these other people that passed away and were murdered. I I don't even want to get the name of them, but so what changed? Like, was there any change? Why, why wasn't there any change? There should have been some type of police reform. What was the police reform? What, why did this happen? Why did this lady murder a 15 year old girl and get community service? Are you kidding me? Now, granted, I think if you take the Rodney King beating and if you take everything that happened with it and you put it in 2022, it doesn't play the same way. Does everything happen? Probably so. Because L.A. was bubbling at that time, honestly. And, and, and to be honest, it wasn't just L.A. because L.A. was not the only place that was rioting. It was there were riots breaking out all across the country in the name of Rodney King, in the name of what was going on in L.A. And that's when people were like, oh, oh, shit, we got to we got to fix this. But did they? probably not as much as they would like you to believe that they did but all in all man it's it's um it was an interesting time again i think it was interesting because one it's a part of history and it's a part of history that you can't erase and i just remember you know being a young kid and thinking okay they got them on tape now what can they say and then, like, now you get people on tape. I mean, George Floyd, we, well, I, I didn't look at it, but you saw a man put a knee, put his knee on his neck for damn near nine minutes. And he finally got convicted. But, you know, what about the ones that didn't? And what about the riots and, 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 and the civil unrest that happened? And what about the, uh, the, the systematic racism? What about these impoverished places, you know, like South LA that get looked over? Because here's the thing, those people that lived in those communities, they got tired of getting looked over, tired of getting, you know, harassed by the cops, tired of getting, you know, the short end of the stick. Nobody that lives in those communities want, the people that live in South LA, they want the same thing for the people, like the people that live in Beverly Hills white folks live in Beverly Hills. They want the same thing. They just don't want nobody standing in their way of getting what they want. And that's not asking for much, to be honest. But I'm glad that we have a podcast like mine or a podcast like Slow Burn that can tell you the history because if we've learned nothing else over these last few years is that history will happen and if you allow people to 
change the narrative so that they don't look as bad they will but you damn sure better not let them do it ladies and gentlemen that's gonna do it for me thank you for checking out this edition of the 12 kyle podcast uh be sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already this podcast drops every thursday at midnight um from time to time we will drop bonus episodes on sundays at midnight uh be sure to check out the youtube channel youtube.com uh backslash 12 kyle spelled out um and again that's gonna do it for me again thank you for checking out this edition of the 12 kyle podcast i'm your boy 12 kyle i'll catch you guys next time